What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Oh, Dreamweaver, I believe you can help me through the night. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Volkelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today I would begin by asking both of you if you had seen images produced by Google Deep Dream. But I already know the answer (laughs) because we spent part of this afternoon looking at pictures of Jonathan in his Renaissance Festival costume with caterpillars growing out of his arm sockets. Yeah. And so many dogs. Yeah. Like yeah. bison puppies in his head. Yeah. It was kinda like uh it was kinda like the American Kennel Club mixed with Lovecraftian horror thrown on top of a Renaissance festival. <laughs> thrown yeah. on top of a giant pile of acid. <laughs> so uh, now you you listeners at home or wherever you are, whether you're at home or standing in line somewhere or standing on top of a giant statue of a naked Greek hero. Someone is. I guarantee it. Probably. Waiting to hear the end of the sentence. (laughs) 
you are now in one of two camps. You're either going, oh, man, Google Deep Dream, this is crazy, or you're saying, what are they talking about? If you're in the latter camp, the people saying, what are they talking about, pause this right now, stop what you're doing, go look up these images. Yeah, and there are numerous images for you to look at. And uh, and ultimately, what you need to know is that the images are all pictures that have been altered by uh, essentially artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in case you're like driving or otherwise visually indisposed, uh, allow me to paint a brief word picture for you. You put in a normal old photograph and, and what comes out of, of these algorithms is recognizably your subject and your background, but the subject might have extra faces in places where faces usually are not, and and the background is maybe dripping with tentacles and eyes, and the edges of things are feathered out as though technicolor anemone hats have suddenly become all the rage for animals, vegetables, and minerals. It it looks, you guys, like, like, a, like a gritty post-Frank Miller reboot of Yellow Submarine. I was going to say it looks like everything is taking place in the sacred halls of Lord Dagon and just like <laughs> dripping tentacled creatures. Yeah, I go with Lovecraft plus Impressionist painters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of these descriptions are valid descriptions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually, the other night, I found someone who had created an app that makes use of, the, of Google's Deep Dream algorithm mm-hmm. uh, and allows you to submit your own photos and get them deep dreamed. So I sent a picture of my dog, Charles Darwin, uh, little Charlie sitting on the couch, and he's so cute. But in the deep dream photo, what's going on with him? Well, the turquoise pillow that he was laying on in the original picture has turned into a giant caterpillar with lots of strange eyes. I see more like a parrot, like a tentacle parrot. Okay, it's kind of a tentacle parrot, yeah. Charlie's face has turned into a sort of bifurcated, evil, sweet dog two-face face. And then he's also got a face in his butt. <laughs> which, which appears to be a very similar face, almost exactly the same yeah, as the yeah. one that's on his head. There's yeah. another weird dog face in his butt. His leg has tentacles and antennae. And like it looks like a fish maybe on one foot yeah. and, and, then a, and then a bird where his tail would be. Yeah, his tail is a bird. Uh, peeking over the top of the couch, I was trying to figure out what this was in the original image. It's just some details against the wall. It's like the top of my coffee maker and stuff. Uh, but that has turned into a creepy teddy bear head peeking over the <laughs> yeah. back of the couch cushion. It like looks a like camera. an angry Ewok. I think it's. I think you're essentially making the box art for the next Five Nights at Freddy's uh, video <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is going on with these images that you may have seen going around the internet uh, with with all these animal faces? Or they're not all animal faces. That's no. my favorite version. But uh, we'll explain how you get these different filters coming through. But there are also some that have just strange accents on curves and corners. Right. Or that have uh, geometrical patterns emerging from the figures in the in the picture. Yeah. So what is going on? I mean, has Google just decided to make a super trippy, weird art project? Is that the purpose of Deep Dream? No, Deep Dream actually is an extension of research that's been going on at Google about image processing that I think is mainly based in the idea of image recognition. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is done through something we've talked about on the podcast before, but we'll go into more detail about today, which is artificial neural networks. Right. Uh, And in this case, the, the application 
you could see applications for this beyond, you know, making trippy images. Uh, for, for practical purposes, doing things like, let's say you've got a picture that has some blurry elements to it and you've already taken the picture. You can't, unless you're using, a, a you know, like a light field capture camera, you can't change the, the focus after you've taken the picture, mm-hmm. but you might be able to use algorithms to, uh, to recognize elements within a photo and bring it into focus after the picture has already been taken, assuming the algorithms are good enough to do that reliably and not turn it into a nightmarish Lovecraftian <laughs> experience. Yeah, that is one of the weird outcomes of this type of, uh, artificial neural network and image processing is that it could actually lead to the idea of Zoom and enhance. Right. I mean, it wouldn't be perfect, but it might be better than anything we've ever had in this fake idea of zoom and enhance today. And yeah, my, yeah, yeah. So these beautiful trippy pictures are kind of a mid-step between what we have today, which is not zoom and enhance, and, right. and, <laughs> and, and really amazing artificial intelligence. Yeah, so let's get into the mechanisms behind what's going on to produce these crazy trippy pictures. Sure. And, and the main thing to talk about is what is going on with artificial neural networks. And I have to admit... I have had a lot of trouble, like, actually visualizing and understanding artificial neural networks. And I've read about them plenty of times mm-hmm. before, but they're, they're one of those abstract concepts where it's, it's tough to fit it to a real world example that makes it make sense to people who have a, I don't know, more intuitive kind of yeah. uh, kinetic yeah. grasp on things. After after a while reading about them, my brain kind of goes, yeah, I'm going to go get some sushi. And like, yeah. that's it. It's it's tricky largely because there is such a difference between the way our brains work and the way computer processors work. Right. So artificial neural networks are problem solving systems that are designed to work like our brains, actually. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to take computer hardware. Well, actually... You could create an artificial neural network that was hardware based, but I think we're talking usually about uh, using software right. within a traditional computer architecture to mimic the cells inside a biological brain. So yep. they solve problems by directing data through these layers of nodes that form information exchanging connections. Right. So let me walk you through and I'll explain how computer processors at a high level work and then the difference between that and an organic brain and then how this artificial neural network is attempting to simulate what's going on with a brain. So your typical computer processor has transistors. Yeah. Right? They they have transistors, all of them. And transistors are serially linked. So typically you would find a transistor that's linked at most to two other transistors and these are forming logic gates collectively. Yeah. Which direct the ones and zeros based upon very simple rules. And then collectively, when you get lots of them together, you can do neat, complex stuff, but they're still linking just to one or two other uh, transistors. Brains, however, have neurons along with a lot of other types of cells, but neurons are interconnected with each other in super complex ways. They're not serially linked. They're linked in parallel So a single neuron could have connections to as many as 10,000 other neurons. And also, while you look at the number of transistors that are on a microprocessor, we keep on increasing that number by decreasing the size of those discrete elements. Mm -hmm. So you're talking around 2 billion or so uh, on a microprocessor, which that's a lot. But our brains have somewhere around 80 to 100 billion neurons. 
So we have way more neurons in our brains with much more sophisticated interconnectivity than you would find in a microprocessor. So it's no big surprise that our brains work in a very different way. Now, one of the cool things about our brains is that we can innovate. We can be creative. We can learn things. Uh, it takes time for us to learn stuff. But once we learn things, we can then extrapolate from what we've learned and create new things. And this is where we get everything from, hey, maybe this would work better if we try it this way, to a genius like Mozart. I mean, that's... Oh, sure, yeah. This is the basis of, of imagination and engineering and invention and everything that we kind of, oh, when it really comes down to it talk about as being human, like what it is to be human right. is these qualities. And there are you know, other elements as well that may play a part in this, but our understanding of the brain is still so limited. We cannot say definitively like how much of this is what is required for consciousness, for example. But sure. that, that we've, we talked about that in previous <laughs> episodes. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go over that again. So artificial neural networks attempt to capture some of that complexity and sophistication found in the brain, usually through a software, uh, virtualization as opposed to let's hook up these, finding 80 billion computers just laying around and trying to connect them together, probably not your best use of time. So you're usually going to be creating this through software. Uh, and they have these units, they call them units, that are interconnected. Um, and you want to try and use these simulations to teach a computer something. For example, uh, pattern recognition or the one that we've talked about before, what a cat is. Even if you don't tell it that this is a cat, if you feed enough pictures of cats – uh, to a an artificial neural network and you use a feedback system so that it is able to differ differentiate between cat and things that are not a cat, it then understands that a cat is a thing even if it's seeing different pictures of different cats. Yeah. Um, it starts to pick out the common elements to all of these uh, all of these data points that are being fed through it. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the important part is the training process because without that training process and feedback – it never learns, right? Yeah. It, you would, it's meaningless to the artificial neural network. So in, in this artificial neural network, each artificial neuron is a unit. Uh, there are three types. There are input units. This is what accepts the incoming information. So that kitty cat picture, for example. Then you have uh, on the other side of this network, you've got the output units. That's what ends up being the information that says, yes, that is a picture of a kitty cat. Or no, that is most certainly not a kitty cat. In between the, the input and output, you have the hidden units. These are the layers of neurons that represent the various parts of the brain, that the, the interconnections that would happen. Um, and essentially, all these units are connected to all the other units. Uh, and those connections are weighted. By weighted, I mean they have a specific relationship from one unit to the next unit. And it helps to visualize this as thinking of it being from left to right, with leftmost being input units, rightmost being output units, and everything in between being the hidden units. Yeah. So the connections between each unit as you move from left to right are weighted. If it's a positive weight, it means that the unit on the left can excite the unit on the right. All right. So input coming into the unit on the left, it excites uh, the connection to the next unit on the right is is uh, weighted positively. It excites the unit on the right. If it's negative, it means it suppresses the next unit that it's connected to that. And keep in mind that 
each of these hidden units is connected to lots of other units. It's not it's not serial, so it's not just you know a straight line left to right. It's an interconnected network of these connections. Um, I'm using connect a lot. Sorry about that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the bigger the weighted number, the greater the influence one unit will have on the next one. And a single unit might have all these multiple connections. Some of them are weighted positively. Some of them are weighted negatively. The whole point of it is this represents a single sort of – think of it almost like a decision or a perception. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the kitty cat picture, uh, the the first wave might be very general shapes that would be associated with cats. And then the next wave might be more particular details and the next wave more particular details. And uh, as units pick up on those details and send the message on further down the line, it starts to refine it and refine it until it finally comes to the decision of yes, kitty cat or no, not a kitty cat. I'm way oversimplifying. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's a bunch of, of layers in the middle here where the machine is going like, yeah, this is probably a kitty cat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably or probably not. Yeah. Until you get to cat. the very end. And, and generally you have like a threshold mm-hmm. and if the data at the end of it meets that threshold or exceeds it, then it's one result. And if it doesn't, it's a different result. It's a negative result. So you can almost think of it as the probabilistic approach that a system like Watson goes through when it's trying to determine if an answer to a Jeopardy question, or rather the question to a Jeopardy answer, is the appropriate one, <laughs> where it says, all right, uh, as long as it meets this 80 percent level of, of of being sure this is the correct one, we're going with it. It'll push the button and yeah, yeah give and an answer. Give an answer in the form of a question and maybe win a copy of the home game. Uh, so... <laughs> All of these, all of, all of this is going, uh, in what is called a feed forward network, which is just one type of artificial neural network. I'm using the feed forward network because it's one of the easiest ones to explain. Uh, there are others that get way more complicated than this, and it requires an understanding of artificial neural networks that goes beyond my surface shallow level <laughs> of sure. understanding. Now, one of the ways that artificial neural networks have become most significant is in the field of machine learning. Yes. Where you're not just coming up with a logical process for a machine, but you're showing a machine how it can refine its own decision making. And that comes in with the feedback that I was talking about earlier. You have to have feedback. You have to tell the machine. You have to be able to communicate to the machine when it has made a success versus when it has failed. And you have to be able to tweak the machine. And by machine, I'm talking about software in this case. Yeah. You have to you have to tweak that design so that you get the outcome you want. Now, th- this is where we get a little meta. We as people know if a picture is of a kitty cat or not. And we look at it and we recognize it whether or not it's a kitty cat. Well, as as an adult human who has experienced cats, yes. Yes. Don't no, overgeneralize, yeah. Jonathan. I'm sorry. My, right, my that, one-year-old niece knows what a kitty cat that is. That might be saying. a horsey. <laughs> it might be a horsey. Okay. All right. Let's... <laughs> Let's say that we have determined ourselves that this this photograph we hold in our mortal okay. hands is yes. that of a kitty cat. Sure. I'm starting to want you know what we're going to we're going to title this episode after a Hamlet quote. It's going to be called Very Like a Whale. Uh cuz it makes sense <laughs> in that context. So anyway, uh-huh. you've got a picture of a kitty cat. Now you you feed it to the computer and the computer output comes out and it says it's not a kitty cat. And you know that's the wrong answer. So you have to look at how to fix the system so that it recognizes the picture you're showing it is, in fact, a kitty cat. Uh, right. And that might require you to to dig down back through those layers. Right. 
and and pick out the one that kind of said like, no, well, it's more triangular, so it's obviously not a cat, right? Yeah, or, you, or whatever. Exactly. You have to figure out where in this in this stage of interconnections did that one decision or maybe multiple decisions lead to the conclusion that it was not a kitty cat. Yeah. The one one way of doing this is called back propagation, where mm-hmm. you start with the output. And you work your way backwards and you say, all right, for in order for this to say, yes, this is a kitty cat, we need to have this result at this stage. Do we have that result? Yes. All right. Let's go one step. You know, actually, it'd probably be no. No. Well, then what is going on in the step before it? That sort of thing. And you work your way back and you start tweaking those weightings. I was talking about the connect connections and you say, all right, well, maybe this connection is actually weighted too much. It's too far in the positive. We need to bring that down or maybe it's in the negative and we need to switch it to positive. So you start making these adjustments in the software to the those weighted connections in the neural network. And that might end up allowing you to pass that same kitty cat picture through. And now it says, oh, that's a kitty cat. Like, Yay. You do this a lot with lots of different examples, and eventually you get to a point where you feel confident that it is doing what you intended it to do, that it is, in fact, able to recognize the picture of the kitty cat at a, a high enough percentage that you're that it's you you say this can recognize a kitty cat. Then you can start feeding it pictures you have never shown it before, including pictures of stuff that looks like a kitty cat but isn't, and kitty cats that may be slightly outside the norm of what it had experienced before, and see how it does in that case. And once you get to a a certain point, the device is able to maintain its ability to recognize things without you having to go in there and tweak stuff in between the training sessions. It has been trained. Yeah. So so that's what they were working on was the idea of image recognition. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that comes out in the Google research blog post where they were first describing the uh, the idea and the genesis of the Google Deep Dream was that the researchers found that – and I'm going to have to quote this here – Neural networks that were trained to discriminate between different kinds of images have quite a bit of the information needed to generate images, too. Right. So that in training, and that was the end of the quote, so that in training what they had done in teaching these neural networks how to recognize images was also sort of teach them how to make images of things. Right. If you say, here are the shapes that you would see in Japanese architecture, and like these are the these are the shapes commonly used in that architecture. So this is how you can recognize when you're shown an image of a building from uh, a historic region of Japan. Then it knows it being you know knowing and is is being generous here, but mm-hmm. it it recognizes those features. Those are the features that define what that thing is. It can now generate those same features. Yeah, and so if it sees quote unquote sees patterns within an image that resemble that it could generate those images kind of kind of tweaking and shaping the uh the fed image and producing something new yeah so they had some wonderful examples on this google research blog post where one of the things they were doing was just refining images based on white noise yep until they started to show the image that was desired. So you would start off with static, just pure static in an image, and then tell the algorithm to constantly tweak that static 
to enhance it to become more like an image of a banana. Yeah. And eventually... For, for example, yeah. Yeah. And eventually the static evolved into a banana. Yeah. Or a cluster of bananas, kind yeah. of. I wouldn't say like a... Like a it, not like a group of bananas, not, not a like bunch. a bunch. Yeah. Right. But a very like strange a pile of banana pile. Like some sort of weird minion slash banana <laughs> yeah, bo- box made out of bananas. And I thought this was funny because this is the digital equivalent of apophenia. Do you know the process of apophenia? It's in psychology where we see significance in random patterns. It's sort of like pareidolia being a very specific version of that where you yeah. can, you, you see faces in, in shapes like seeing something in a cloud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very like a whale. Very much. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we're essentially here teaching computers how to, well, just keep trying at all of this random noise mm-hmm. until you can find the banana there. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like pointing a sculptor at a block of of marble and say, just keep cutting away until their masterpiece like David emerges. Until you find the banana. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that is what someone told Michelangelo as a very young boy. Pretty sure that was that was in one of his uh, famous uh, paintings. It's just there's a little thing at the very end, like, have fun, find the banana. But yeah, obviously, the actual goal of the research is image recognition. I mean, we've actually done podcasts about image recognition of various forms before. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that that and speech recognition yeah. and, and facial recognition, which is very uh, kind of creepy and important in our daily Internet lives. And if you if you want to, you know, we, we've talked about this so often, if you want to do a really deep dive on these topics, you can check out uh, episodes such as Can Computers Describe What They See from November 2014? I know that face from October of 2014, uh, Zoom and Enhance from August of 2013, and Speech Recognition from April of 2013. Man, we talk about computers learning a lot. It's yeah. weird. Well, it is the future. And, and there's still a lot of challenges to this field, right? Sure. I mean, it's not so easy to make a computer see and recognize what it sees the way a human or an animal would. Well, and a lot of these involve... Uh, systems that are tweaked for very specific types of recognition. It's not like you have one neural network that recognizes everything. Uh, if you look it's at really the, just the cat network or <laughs> the banana network. Yeah. yeah. Well, by the way, I get the banana work uh, network. It's really appealing. So how are you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that show and I just refuse to acknowledge think, that entirely. I, I think we keep that whole part. <laughs> I think we do. I think we should continue right now. Uh, right. Okay, but but so if you if it's you want to go on a deep dive. <laughs> so if you want to go on a deep dive about all of this stuff, you yeah. certainly can. But let's go over like a, like a basic overview of, of why it's so difficult to get computers to, to see and hear the way that we do. Well, the, sure. the big one being that architecture, you know, the, the difference between computer architecture and the way our brains work, that's that's the biggest, right? That's just fundamentally they work in very different ways. And we have expressed this in multiple episodes too, especially dealing with things like how computer memory is so different from our memory. Mm-hmm. That's just one easy way of pointing at this. So that's a big one. Even – and. The software uh, simulations are incredibly limited Mm -hmm. because they require a great deal of processing power to work properly. Um, And, uh, you know, we're still learning how the brain works. And so to create a simulation of it while we have only a partial understanding is is 
really tough. Sure. Uh, in fact, a lot of people – I saw one person say – uh, the simulation, the artificial neural network is similar in a way – like you wouldn't say it's a brain the same way you wouldn't say a weather simulation is an actual weather front. It's you know it's a, it's a, as close as we can get right now based upon our understanding and our technological sophistication. And that's going to only improve as time goes on, mm-hmm. but we're still – at the very early stages of that. Sure. And it's also just a major difference in the approach of, mm. of problem solving. I mean, typically computers as they exist today are good at learning by explicit instructions. Yes. To get the right answer. Yes. And assuming that everything in the computer is working properly, then they will reliably execute those instructions precisely every single time. Yeah, and our brains are exactly the opposite. They're, <laughs> they're not great at getting the perfect answer, but they're very good at something computers aren't, at approximating. Mm-hmm. They're good at approximating based on a lot of input. So sure. we learn what a chair is not by reading a definition of the key features of a chair and then a list of all the possible exceptions, including every variation on a chair there could be. I mean, like, why would we do that? Instead, we just <laughs> see a bunch of chairs, notice that people identify all of these things as chairs. We can generalize, then, in other words. Yeah, and then we get an approximate idea of, okay, here's basically what a chair is. So we have a sort of fuzzy feel for mm. what constitutes that object. And that's what the neural networks are trying to do. They, yeah. they have large samples of data, and they try to get a feel for it. And it, it it takes the the uh, the work of actual human beings to make certain that that early stage of training is actually working. It's not like it's not like we have a computer that you can just turn on and it just automatically starts to learn and it knows when it's right and it knows when it's wrong and it can thus start to learn everything. We're nowhere close to that. We are to the point where you turn a computer on, you feed it some information, you see what comes out. And then you either say, all right, it looks like this particular uh, uh, go-through worked fine. Let's try something else. Or you say, oh, this didn't work. Let's find out what's wrong and fix it so we can try it again before you ever get to a point where you can start showing it new stuff. Yeah. Uh, right. And kind of the, the way that you do that, that you build a better neural network, is that you you, you check in on what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And by, by asking a, a layer to create a visualization a layer of these these artificial neurons to create a visualization of what it's working through is one way that you have of checking in. Interesting. As, as an example from this Google research blog, uh, you might have set your network to figure out what a dumbbell is. But until you ask it for an image, you might not realize that all the pictures of dumbbells that it's found so far include beefy human arms. Yeah, so it's obviously <laughs> yeah. searching through our stock image. Uh, libraries that we use. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. But, you know, so so once you see it's images of these really weird arm dumbbell hybrids, uh-huh. you can help it correct by telling it to enhance the bits that are dumbbells, you know, the shapes and the colors that go with dumbbells and to ignore the beefy arm bits. Yeah, it, it actually is very interesting because as much as I joke about the, the stock image thing, it really does tell you that when we choose certain images to represent concepts, we often will go to very similar ones 
And to the point where, as humans, we know we can differentiate the thing in that image that actually represents the concept versus some other supplemental thing. But a computer doesn't know that until oh, you sure. tell it. Yeah, and, and it's so loaded with context. I mean, you, you wouldn't know why a beefy arm and a dumbbell would go together unless you understood, culturally speaking, that that sometimes when you work with a lot of dumbbells, you get big beefy arms. Yeah. So all of this is extraneous information that a computer can't possibly be asked to automatically know the way that a human person would. Uh, and, okay, so, so extrapolating out a little bit further from this concept, the end goal is really for your neural network to be able to autocorrect. Mm -hmm. So you can program it to enhance whatever it thinks is important, and it will look for patterns in the visual data of an image and, and enhance those, then evaluate the resulting image and find more patterns and enhance them, and so on. It's a little like like asking a child to tell you what shapes she sees in the clouds. You can get a decent sense, uh, based on her answers, of her abilities to think abstractly and, and to extrapolate visually. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I think of times where uh, me and my friends would be looking at the clouds and we would sit there and talk about what shapes we saw. And I remember like a friend might say, oh, that I see a dog. And another guy says, I see a man. And they'd say, what do you see? As I see, it looks like it's going to rain. And mm -hmm. uh, I explains why I don't have friends. Aww. But but yeah, you know, so so you, you get to you get to evaluate this kid's conceptualizations. Sure. And you also probably get to have a really rad, trippy conversation. And yeah. these are the two things that we are getting out of Deep Dream. Yeah, 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 certainly. And to bring it back to the this sort of byproduct, these deep dream images, how you actually get these is that refining feedback process. Mm, right. So at a certain layer of analysis, you tell the neural network, okay, what whatever you found here, focus in on that and, and pay a lot of attention to it and then look at it again. Right. And then pay more attention to but, it. Yeah. And and, and it, it this paying attention goes beyond just focusing it goes to the addition of information or right. manipulation of information yeah, yeah yeah like if you think that you see a pagoda in those clouds then really really enhance that pagoda tendency right, right. Mm -hmm. and this is how you end up with jonathan having eyes all over his shoulders and caterpillars for arms it might be looking for images that it has recognized before in biological life in pictures of animals, pictures of insects, and say, yeah, yeah, okay, that arm's kind of, uh, you know, kind of tube-shaped, so maybe we could make that a little bit more like a caterpillar. Oh, now it's looking a lot like a caterpillar. Yeah, we yeah. should make it look more like a caterpillar even, yeah, totally. By, by the way, you can get to that same destination just by hanging out with me on a Saturday night. <laughs> same, <laughs> same result. To me, this actually raises a pretty weird and possibly interesting, possibly superficial question about artificial intelligence. If we're teaching our computers to see more like us, does that mean they'll eventually learn to hallucinate like us? Like, is hallucinating a natural consequence of human levels of vision and object recognition? Well, I, I would ask, how how do we know that they're not already hallucinating? There's a theory. <laughs> follow me here. Follow me here. Okay. There's, there's a theory of baby brain growth that suggests that uh, infant sensory processing is on a level similar to adults that are using hallucinogens because there's there's less or, or even no aware, awareness of context and there's less separation between internal and external stimuli. 
So everything feels and looks and sounds real and immediate, in, including things that are artifacts of your brain's inner processings, like associations and fragments of memories and misunderstandings of what you're seeing and hearing. So, uh, so are our computers all tripping all the time? <laughs> is the question I pose? Do androids dream of electric sheep? Or are the electric sheep there for them always? I don't know. Well, they don't dream of electric sheep standing in a pasture. They dream of electric sheep emerging out of your pectoral muscles. <laughs> Again, Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, this is a, to me, this is, this is a great, a great way of appreciating how weird and amazing artificial intelligence, uh, as a discipline is. And, while while this is almost like a byproduct, like a, just an interesting byproduct of something that was intended to improve upon image recognition software, it also has created some truly remarkable images. I mean, it's it's you could argue it's a new form of art, and uh, you start by feeding it an image that you think is already interesting or maybe not interesting because either way it works and then you see what comes out of it and uh we've even seen some uh pretty you know mostly it's done for laughs but there have been some that i think are just really striking images oh, that yeah. make me think of impressionism and yeah uh, some other like, more even more abstract and surreal approaches to art as well some of the ones i've seen very much have a a, a salvador dali kind of oh, feel yeah. to them. the ones yeah. with like a dripping architecture yeah uh, where there seem to be you see like arches and things that you would recognize from buildings except they seem to be made of liquid somehow uh, yeah. yeah yeah and there's also an element uh like dali of that, of that kind of of that kind of Escher sort of yeah. influence in there too, because of the mm. the way that the shapes repeat and twist on each other, and oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, like impossible perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting some some phenomenal pictures, uh, and maybe we'll even post some from uh, the forward thinking crew <laughs> later on. We've talked about the possibility of of doing a photo shoot just. <laughs> Just to feed it through here and find out what kind of fresh horror awaits us. But uh, I really think that this was cool also just to kind of get a look at how artificial neural networks work and and the process that they tend to use in order for machines to be able to learn stuff. Because we've talked about learning so much without really getting into the process that's going on. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, to say, like, hey, this machine can learn. It's it's. It's not. It's doing it a disservice. So this was great to get into the nuts and bolts of that. I'm gonna go home and lay on a caterpillar. Okay. <laughs> well, you you own one. We've seen it. So guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, maybe there's something you've always wanted to know more about, like what's that going to be like in the future, or maybe there's even a topic we've covered in the past that you want to have us focus on a very specific part of that, or whatever it may be. You should write us. Maybe you just have comments about the uh, the Google project or artificial intelligence and machine learning. Send us a message. Our email is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Google Plus, or Twitter. At Google Plus and Twitter, we are fwthinking. Or at Facebook, just search fwthinking in the search bar. We will pop right up. You can leave us a message. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota.
Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.